Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. thinking as we were worshiping there I've been stuck in uh, not that we're going there this morning but in uh, John John 1 and speaking of the temple being the place of glory um, I, I actually never saw the the profound connection here when it speaks of Jesus being the word the word becoming flesh and then dwelling which is actually means to tabernacle to temple and then it says and we have seen his glory and uh, I just saw this unmistakable connection that of course glory is there because he's the temple and the house of the Lord is always the place for God to fill with glory. It's the intersection of heaven and earth. And so what Jesus, Jesus initiated in his own body, through the breaking of his body, is then poured out by his spirit into the church at Pentecost. And now we are the house of the Lord, the place of his glory, where heaven and earth meet in us. Wow. Lord, we just, we thank you, God. We thank you that we are the household. We are, we are your temple. We are the Garden of Eden. We are the Holy of Holies. I thank you that you walk amongst us even now. I just pray you would increase our awareness of your present presence, God. Increase our awareness and our faith that glory is here, Lord. That together, Lord, brick by brick, we are your household. Precious stones coming together. But we declare that you're the cornerstone, Jesus. You're the capstone, Lord. You're what holds us together, King Jesus. So we just ask, Lord, that as as your word is opened up, we ask that glory, glory would be opened up to us, God. Glory would be opened up. We just ask, Lord, that what you're doing, you would intensify it. You would deepen it. You would enrich it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you, worship team. Hallelujah. (laughs) Wow. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Good to be with you guys. Brave the weather. We had some uh, torrential downpour this morning. I wasn't sure what that was going to look like for us in here. It was actually beautiful setting up and just hearing it come down. But we've we've managed. We're alive. Good to see many of you here. just a friendly, uh, friendly reminder for those that just came in that uh, Alpha is back on this week. All right, so if you want to go, you didn't, you didn't need to, you don't need to go in order. So we did start a class already, but this will be the second one. But you can jump right in. So again, Tuesdays, 6:30 at the property owners, which is 31 Neighborhood Road, right down the road. Uh, we'll be having Alpha, and it's going to be awesome. And then Monday nights, if you missed it, Monday night is Encounter Night. What time is that? 6.30, right in the office, encounter night, and just, just have your hearts prepared. It's awesome time uh, to really minister to people. We do a lot. Uh, we're really big on minister to the Lord, but that's a time where we come and minister to one another uh, and pray for needs. So if, uh, if you have a need, come. Then you're qualified. <laughs> Amen. Um, listen, last week was, was not last week. That was special. Man, what the Lord did. Uh, and I, I don't say that to 
make anyone uh, feel, feel bad at all. But you missed it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but it, it was special. It wasn't something that we had tried to, uh, by any means, try to, try to do. We, we just simply spoke into some, some truths of what happens when we worship, the new covenant realities. And then uh, when we were done preaching the word, we, we experienced it. And something beautiful, something organic broke out. And um, what I feel like, what I feel like over these last two weeks, last week and now this week, is I, I just, I mentioned this, that I felt like Lord is really wanting to deepen and enrich our experiences together as a community and really wanting to uh, refine and mature us. And it's all unto, all unto intensified encounters. It's all unto greater encounters with the glory of God, greater transformation. Uh, and so last week, we stepped in on, on one side of this spectrum of corporate worship. We, we looked at the new covenant realities of worship, which is just, and it, it's, it's just amazing. Um, we looked at the writer of uh, Hebrews in uh, Hebrews 12, who basically, he basically just puts this dividing line between old covenant and new covenant, and he does it by comparing two mountains, uh, Sinai and Zion, which represent two covenants. And you can't get on out further apart from one another. Sinai, the old covenant, is represented by uh, God is unapproachable. Um, there, is, there is fear, ungodly fear. There is intimidation. Uh, everything says stay back. But in Zion, because of a greater mediator, not because God's changed or we've gotten a lot better than Israel, but because we have a better mediator, the experience and what we expect to happen with God is radically different. There's joy, freedom, life. There's unhindered access. God is approachable. We talked about how the scripture says when we gather, like we did this morning, we come before innumerable angels in festal gathering, it says. I mean, that, that's like they are celebrating the triumph of King Jesus. And when we worship, we're coming like side by side. Uh, so it's just a glorious reality. So all that to say, I was so stirred. And, and what I want to do this week is I want to kind of switch to the other side of that, of that spectrum, if you will. And I want to talk about, um, I guess you could put it the way I'm putting it, setting some guardrails for us. <laughs> As a, as a community. So I want everyone to listen really clearly because I don't want anyone to misunderstand that uh, this morning is not about uh, putting some cold water on the fire that God did last week. That's, uh, that's not what we're looking to do. Um, it's not like last week we ate steak and this week I'm going to give you your greens because you need your vegetables as well. <laughs> um, you do need your vegetables, but that's not what this is. These two are not like in a weird way balancing each other out. Um, actually, everything that we're going to talk about today is unto what we shared last week and what we experienced this morning, increased freedom, increased encounters. We are not looking to sap spontaneity today. We're not looking to sap freedom. Um, everything that we're going to talk about today, again, is so that we would experience life and life abundantly in our encounters. Everything is to refine the gathering uh, in order that we would promote unity and love and mutual edification, right? So it's like, Willie actually really, Willie Jr. really helped me with this. He was reaching out. For some reason, I was on his heart this week, and he was praying for me. And he said, you know, you're going to preach on uh, the guardrails to glory. <laughs> guardrails to glory. And, um, and he had a picture. The Lord gave him a picture to kind of show you this, that, that what we're talking about is not meant to, I, I just want to be clear where we're going. We're not looking to restrict what God's doing here. We're not looking to become predictable and rigid. That's not what this is about. But... There are things that when we come together as a community are really important that actually will promote unity, love, again, edification. Everyone will be built up. And so he, uh, Willie gave me this picture of when you turn on the spigot outside and the water just starts flying out, right? That's kind of like freedom. <laughs> you realize in the Lord you're, there's freedom and, and he's a better mediator. And it's like, man, just like, ah, we're just freeing the Lord and we come together. 
But here's the thing is that God wants to take us places when we come together. Like, there's freedom, but God wants us to journey, and, and he wants all to be included in that. And so the picture we had was when you put now a, a hose to that spigot, for a moment it may feel like it's restricting, but it's not. It's actually allowing that water to go to places it couldn't go before. It's allowing you to actually move in directions and say, hey, this is where we're going to go this morning. And, and when we come together, if that's going to happen, honestly, what I'm sharing is very simple this morning. It's really simple. I'm not sharing laws, not sharing laws. Uh, I'm just sharing these big overarching principles. And, um, and when we come together, what's really important to remember is we come together as a body. I know that sounds, but a lot of times for me, I have to get out of the, of the mindset that is ingrained in the West that's very individualized. And I know we mention that a lot, but that we're coming together as a bunch of individuals to have our own encounters and then we're leaving. Yeah. Now you're going to have encounters here. But if we actually want to have increase in glory and transformation, it's when we come in together. God is not so much saving persons as the Bible says what he's really doing is he's saving a people. Now, obviously, in saving a people, he's saving persons. But the picture is that before the Lord, in the end, will be a, a gathering of every tribe, nation, tongue, people. Now, our individual stories are caught up in that. But we need to know that when we come together, what he's seeing before, he's seeing a people this morning. That's Paul's theology is that God is calling out in the midst of this broken, he's calling out a people that have been re a resurrected community. Uh, Peter would say that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen, we're a chosen race, a holy nation. The, the common denominator in all those things is that it's all communal words. So are we royal priests? Absolutely. But you can't and I can't really function as priests without the priesthood. <laughs> Are, are you holy people? Yes, and I'm a holy person, but we're a holy nation. So when we come together, what we want to do is we want to come in with that mindset of God. As we come before you, sure, there's going to be such beautiful things God's doing personally in our hearts, as he always does every week. But one of the ways to maintain health and then to grow is to know that when we come in, we're coming in as a body. God's taking us somewhere in a journey. Amen? Now, one of the hard things about that is that there's not a lot of text in the New Testament that give clear instructions on, on what worship looks like, which is why we're not talking about laws. In fact, you can get really jammed up if you try to take one passage and apply it as these rigid things. Um, you don't really see a lot. You see pockets. Hebrews 10 tells us that we shouldn't forsake the gathering, but we're not really told so much as to what was happening in the gathering. Uh, Acts, we see they gather daily in the temple, in each other's homes. We see some things of communion, fellowship, breaking bread. Um, Ephesians and Colossians, and I'll mention Ephesians later, but we do see the coming together of the saints to address one another in songs, psalms, songs in the spirit. Um, we see that as well. So we get some pictures, but probably by, by, by far the clearest place, and it's still not perfect, but it's 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. That's probably where you're going to get some of the clearest guidelines and instructions. Although, again, Paul is addressing some very specific things. And if you don't understand what he's addressing, you can take principles and put them as laws and cut out really healthy things that Paul actually encourages in other places. But in Corinthians, he's saying almost like he's taking baby steps. You can't do that yet because you you're not functioning in, in what it's meant to be. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look essentially at 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And um, really, we're going to land in 14, kind of at the end. Not that we're going to spend the most time there, but actually, it gives us the clearest instructions. 
But if you would, act, but if, if you would as you're turning there, to actually come to 1 Corinthians 2, please. The end of chapter 2. So nice and quiet this morning. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, just a fair warning. I feel like last week there was, I, I love all different expressions, but last week was so rich in encounter. And we're going to encounter, but I feel like there's going to be a lot of teaching this morning. But it's really important um, to have the word just wash over us. And, uh, and as we stay in it, um, I think, again, it's, it's, this is all unto us growing as a family. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to specifically kind of pick it up in, um, at the end of verse 15 and then read the first verse of chapter 3. And uh, all right, actually, let me just say this. I'll, here's, here's kind of the vision of what's happening. We're going to go into chapters 12 to 14, but imagine a funnel. We're going to get context for Corinthians. We're going to start really wide first for the whole book. And then we're going to narrow it down and come into chapters 12 to 14. And here's why. Here, here's what's going on. There's definitely been some dialogue between Paul and the church at Corinth. And Corinth has what's most likely believed that they've reached out essentially for Paul's counsel over several issues that have emerged in their gatherings. And what the book of Corinth, uh, Corinthians really is, is Paul responding to these issues that they're seeking his counsel on. Now at first sight, and the way I always saw it is that these issues are very dislocated. They're very disjointed. In other words, they, they really don't have anything that unifies them outside of the fact that they're all happening in the same church and they're all seeking the same counsel from Paul. Outside of that, they're, they're very disjointed. But what I want to put before you and what I feel like that I've learned over the last even just few months is that this is actually a, a, there's actually a very unifying agent that binds all of these seemingly disjointed addresses together. In other words, it's as if there's these issues that's happening in the church in terms of ethics, uh, theology, things are showing up in their worship gatherings, and Paul's saying all of these issues, they seem really disjointed, they're, but they're, all they are is different manifestations to the same root problem. And so what Paul's doing throughout Corinthians is he's actually going to address, I think, a similar root issue, and he's just going to say, here, it's showing up here like this. It's showing up here like this. It's showing up here like this. So I want you to see this larger context because then you can see how it's showing up in their worship gatherings. Amen? And by the way, this is not because anything's happening here. I'm just sharing. I just want to grow as a community. And these are important as we grow in, in the freedom of the Lord. So let's read the end of verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Now listen carefully. It says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. The spiritual person. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Flesh people. <laughs> as infants in Christ. Okay. I, I, I believe the dominating issue that's seen throughout Corinthians is hinges on this idea of what Paul is talking about being a spiritual people. And I believe what's happening is that the, uh, the church of Corinth had believed that they were spiritual people. And what Paul is going to say is you've come under a false understanding of spirituality. You have a false. It's not that the things that were happening were necessarily wrong, but it was incomplete. Now, when we hear, this is really important to understand where we're going. When we hear spirituality, the problem is that's a very slippery word because it brings up so many thoughts. And a lot of times, I think that the meaning of that word spiritual is impoverished by the English dictionary. And a lot of times what happens is, is we're holding on the definitions that actually lead us to drift further from what Paul is actually saying. In fact, many times, 
I think the definitions of spirituality today often come in alignment with what Paul is actually correcting. Yeah, that's right. So here's what Paul is not saying. When Paul says you want to be spiritual, but, I'm tr- but I have to address you as flesh, even though you are of the spirit. Spiritual is not non-material. It's not just like the inner life of a person. Meaning I, all that matters is your, your, the, the spirit man. Who cares what you do outwardly? All that matters is what's going on in the inside. He's not speaking of just mystical things that are really like far out there, otherworldly. That's not Paul's name. Actually, for Paul, every, about li- living spiritual is very much impacting and affecting the way you engage and live in relationships with one another. So the word, listen carefully, the word that Paul uses is pneumatikos. When he says spiritual people, pneumatikos, it's two words. Pneuma and ikos. Pneuma, I know a lot of you know, is spirit. And ikos means belonging to or pertaining to. So what he's saying is, I want to address you as those belonging to the spirit. I want to teach you how to live by the spirit. You claim to belong to the spirit, to live by the spirit, but you're actually living as those who do not have the spirit, even though you do. You live as flesh people when really you are spiritual people. Why? Listen carefully. The primary mistake of the Corinthian church is that they denied the physical and material side of the Christian walk. The, all they thought was, I'm spiritual. I'm like non-material, inner life. That's all that matters. So listen to this. For what we just read, 1 Corinthians 3, here's how it showed up here. Paul is saying, I want to address you as spiritual, but I can't. Why? Because he's going to say, you're bound in divisions with one another. Some follow Apollos. Some follow Paul. You're claiming to be spiritual, but you're you're angry at one another, you have hostility, you're hating your brothers, you're causing division. And the problem was they didn't see an issue with it. Why? Because we're spiritual. It does not matter how you treat one another. That doesn't matter anymore. That's of the flesh. That's of the material. Not flesh like sin. But none of that, none of that matters anymore. Do whatever you want as long as you just focus on the spiritual things. You with me? So then he goes in the 1 Corinthians 5 to 7. What does he address? Sexual immorality. What was going on there? They weren't addressing a brother who was actually, it was a really twisted scene. They weren't addressing it. Why? Because to them, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter how you live with one another. Again, you're spiritual. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives an interesting address to couples in marriage. He actually tells them that it's really important that you maintain physical intimacy outside of a period of uh, fasting or prayer. If not, come back unless you find yourself tempted by Satan. Why? Because what was probably happening at the Corinth church is they were saying, now that you're married, you, you don't need that anymore. You're a spiritual being. You're like this non-material being. None of the things matter. And Paul's like, they're actually setting people up for temptation. First Corinthians 8, he talks about when you actually, the worship gathering starts in 1 Corinthians 8. A lot of times we go to 12 to 14, but it was, that's when they come together. And he talked about food being offered up to idols, if you know this. Now, what Paul actually says is, all, he actually says, look, some have weaker faith, and that becomes a stumbling block. But what was taking place is as they were gathering, some were partaking in meals that were offensive to others, and they didn't care because they're spiritual. Paul says, that's not spirituality. You're violating for Paul what is the chief element of spirituality, living and loving relationships with one another. Anytime we do that, Paul says that's a false definition of spirituality. So they're coming together claiming to be spiritual, but they have zero regard for their brothers and sisters that they're gathering with. For love is to exemplify Christ, and Christ's definition of love is to seek the benefit of others. We're going somewhere here because when we come together, this is going to drive how we're worshiping together. We are to seek the benefits of one another as we gather. If you go all the way to the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives the largest, longest teaching on resurrection. 
If it's interesting, though, he's, his whole emphasis is that you will have a physical bodily resurrection. Why is he teaching that? Because those at Corinth were saying, you're, not gonna you're just going to be a disembodied spirit for all of eternity. That's the idea of being spiritual. And Paul's like, no. I just want to be, for Paul, living by the spirit, being a people that belong to the spirit, is very much present in this world. It's not a disengaging, just in, in, like, I don't know, let the Lord lead you however he wants to lead you with application, but it's not just focusing on these like otherworldly things and having, treating everyone like garbage, zero regard, bound in division. He says, you think you're wise, but your wisdom actually leads you to be on those who oppose the cross. Like all of these things, you boast in knowledge. And so Paul's addressing all these things and really what he's teaching is that true spirituality at its heart is going to lead to love, loving relationships within the family of God. Amen? So, I know there was a lot shared there, but that's the larger context. Now he's going to show us how it's showing up in the worship gathering, okay? So let's go to chapter 12. Again, I probably just feel like I need, I need to make so many qualifying statements. Where we're going, we're not, we're not making laws. This is just one of the clearest passages with at least some activity of, the, of worship in the communal settings. So we're going to use it um, to, to really apply larger principles. So now Paul's addressing this false spirituality. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Paul opens up by saying this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, it says there, right? So 12 to 14 is going to be this issue of what's happening in their settings. But here's something really important. It says spiritual gifts, but like other translations actually say spiritual things. Some say spiritual people. In fact, mine has a little number in my translation that says go to the bottom, and it says or spiritual people. Why? The word Paul uses here is once again pneumatikos. That's very important because later on in chapter 12 when he speaks of spiritual gifts like we know them of, he uses the word charismata. He uses a different word here. Why? Probably because he's addressing the same thing. He says, I want, to, I want to now talk to you about what it means, again, to be spiritual, to belong to the Spirit, to be ones endowed by the Spirit, which is going to bring up conversations of gifts and how they're flowing in the community. But it's the same idea. Look at chapter 14 at the very end, verse 37. This is how he kind of bookends his argument. Look at how it ends. Chapter 14, verse 37. It says this, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, you guys see that? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I'm writing to you. There it is again, pneumatikos. The whole thing again is he's, he's addressing their false understanding of what it means to be spiritual. That's the primary thing. So, we're, I know I'm giving a lot of content, but, but we're actually, I feel, I feel like the Lord was showing me that in the, in the leading in the chapter 14, that the Lord was actually going to teach a lot of important things along the way. So this isn't just to set something up. The question, though, is, so what is Paul writing here? Well, this is important, then. Paul is not merely writing to be informative here. He's writing to be corrective. That's very important because what that means is, although we learn a lot about spiritual gifts, he isn't just writing to say, hey, I feel like teaching you about spiritual gifts now. He actually has a very specific issue in mind that he's writing. In fact, let this ruffle your feathers a little bit. There's a lot of brilliant scholars that think the, the nine gifts... Paul's not even trying to list out all the gifts that could happen in a church gathering. He's merely just saying there's diverse gifts that can happen in the gathering. Because his point is not to be informative. He's correcting an issue that's taking place. So it's like, what, I mean, what else could happen in the gathering? I don't know. 
It's interesting, actually, he mentions six lists. By the time you get done with chapter 14, not one of the lists is the same, which confirms the point that he's probably not trying to always give a solid list of gifts. He's just really, it's called an ad hoc list. It's, you, you say something in the moment just to make a point, but you're not trying to extend it so much beyond that. Oh, man, we're getting into a lot of things right now, but, but um, here's, okay, here's the issue, but listen carefully again, because we're going to teach a little bit on this topic, but not much. I want to use it for a bigger principle. What's the issue here? What he's going to be addressing, it it's really comes to its it clear in chapter 14, it was an issue with one gift that was dominating the gatherings, which was the gift of tongues. It became singular in emphasis, and it became very individualized in how it was being used. What, what Paul's saying is, for Paul, this is violating the ultimate standard of love because you're cutting out others who have other gifts, saying that they don't belong or they're not valuable, or you're, what you're engaging in, as beautiful as it is, it's holy, glorious tongues. We're not getting the whole thing on that. But Paul is not, and by any means, devaluing it. He's going to put it in its proper place, and he's just going to, he's going to tell them that uh, there's other gifts and that we need to allow all different expressions of that to take place in our, in our gatherings. Okay? So... And when we, when we engage in things, we should be careful to engage in things in a very individualized manner. Why? Because we're not coming together as individuals. We're coming together as a body. So the problem was, what you're going to see is it's almost as if they were coming in and it's like they were all in their own bubble, having these like little encounters with God and these ecstatic experiences. And Paul says, these experiences are good, but there's a way where you can become unified in this and everyone can be edified and build in it. Make sense? So this is what we want to have take place. So this is what Paul is addressing. Again, by no means is Paul devaluing tongues. He says, I speak in it more than all of you. Uh, that's what he would say. He says, I wish you all would speak in it. Um, and again, my point here this morning is not to give you a theology on tongues, but we have to just look at it because it's going to serve a purpose for addressing larger principles of the gathering. Does that make sense? So sorry if there's some things we have questions on. The point is not to get every little nuance of, of that, but I, I want to, again, bring us into bigger things. So let's read the first three verses together of chapter 12. I'll just keep giving you some context here. He says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, or spiritual things is probably most appropriate. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. All right, this is all still kind of leading us into 14, but just something important to mention here. Um, there's, there's some really interesting understandings of what Paul is saying here, but this sets a foundation as no one can say Jesus is accursed. The, the only way you know someone's speaking by the Spirit is when Jesus is pronounced as Lord. There's a bit of an issue here, though, and again, just let you wrestle with this. Either way, it's, it's irrelevant where we're going. I just think it's really fascinating that some have argued that could Paul really write so non-combatively if someone is cursing Jesus in the midst of their gatherings? In other words, someone who was in sexual morality was actually told to leave the church for a while. Is Paul just saying, hey, if anyone's getting your gathering saying curse Jesus, just, just know it's not of the Lord, but keep going. Paul would probably say, you need to remove them <laughs> or, you need to, or you need to have someone step and minister them. It's led many to believe that what's happening here is probably not exactly the way it seems to be worded in English translation. Also, because if anyone said Jesus is cursed, would anyone really doubt if they're speaking in the spirit of God? <laughs> so what many have said is that this is actually, it's written as a formula, that Paul is playing on a pagan formula. 
And it comes off a little strange in our language, but what would happen is as they would worship other deities, what they would do is they would use their deity and they would curse one another in the name of their deity. I curse you in the name of Balaam. I curse you in this, right? Paul is saying no one who curses their brother in the name of Jesus is speaking in the spirit of God. That's really powerful because we may not use that necessarily formula, but how many times in the name of being a voice of righteous or not, we're cursing one another and and Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. There's a very good chance he's saying that's not the spirit of God. But either way, either way, well, here's what Paul is laying out, that we know that all things that happen in our gathering, every activity of the spirit, everything that takes place here, it's unto the exaltation of Jesus. This is like, remember, these aren't laws. I know a lot of these things are basic, but they're good reminders, and I know we have people newer in the faith. Anything that happens here should point you to look at Jesus. What, what Paul is actually countering is what would happen a lot of times in pagan gatherings, which is they, they would stop with the activities that they, were, that they were seeing. They'd stop with just being enthralled by the activity. And what Paul says is if you do that on the Christian side, if you just stop with the activity, the manifestation, whatever it is, and don't let it lead you to look at Jesus, we come more in alignment with pagan fascination than gospel-centered charismatic worship. Now, what I'm not saying is that Paul is pitting together gifts of the Spirit, manifestation of the Spirit versus Jesus. Like, we don't want that. We just want Jesus. If you want Jesus, those things are going to happen. What we are saying is when they happen, don't stop with just saying, wow, look at this. Let it lead you to the exaltation of Christ. That's the whole point. Every, so every song, every, every, uh, every message, every dance, every gift, I mean, that's why so many I know who have come in here are so blessed and sense the Lord because you see everything is pointing to Jesus when we gather. That's what our heart is. All right, so then as Paul keeps going, I'm just summarizing big chunks. Verses 4 through 11, he writes on different manifestations of the Spirit. He wants you to know that there's many manifestations. Why? Again, he's trying to show and come against a singular emphasis of one gift. So what he's saying is, guys, stop being singular. There's many things that can happen in a gathering. And then he goes into verses 12 to really the end, verse 31, where he'll do this again with a body analogy. And what he says is, he says, we're one body, but there's many members. So what he's promoting is diversity within unity, okay? So again, what, he, what Paul is saying is this, that, that, that he's coming against the, the uh, singular use of, use of tongues here by saying that there's many manifestations and there's many members of the body. Therefore, we should expect many things to happen when we come together. Amen? Uh, I'm going to hit unity in a second when we come to the close in just a moment in chapter 14. But let me just say this. It's diversity within unity. I just want to be clear in this. What we are not looking for is uniformity, which I don't want anyone to think that what we're saying this morning is that when God is moving, everyone needs to do the same exact thing. No, like even this morning, whatever we were worshiping, you've got people that are on flags. Some people are kneeling. Some people are in joy. Some people are tears. There's all these different things happening. But what is unifying is that we're coming around the same thing of the Lord. We're together. And so there's diverse expressions of what's happening, but we're not all just like looking in different directions as what's taking place with the Lord. Yeah? We're that hose. We're going somewhere every time we gather. All right, look at verse 31 at the end of chapter 12. Look how he closes now. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. I'm going to hit this in a moment, chapter 14, because that sounds like Paul just contradicted himself. (laughs) Uh, Seek the everyone of equal value. We need everything, but seek the higher, seek the greater. But there's a reason what he's saying. And then he says at the end, he says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. You guys see that? So basically, if you were to read the end of chapter 12 and go into chapter 14, it's a seamless connection. 
So chapter 13 is, is basically what some would call, it's like parentheses, chapter 13. Imagine that. It's, it's a theological interlude. That's the, that's the fancy expression, but it's parentheses. Now, what Paul is doing, though, is he's not, he is not just haphazardly summarizing generic love here. And that's how this is sometimes to be applied. But Paul is still drilling a point here. Again, what is the chief element of spirituality for Paul? It's loving relationships. And now he's going to explain what love is, and he's going to say, guys, lo love is what builds up. He said in chapter 8, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Yeah. And chapter 14 is now going to be unto, he's going to lay out clearly how we build up, but everything has to be done in love. He says in the first few verses, no matter how much gifts and all these things are swirling in our setting, if it's not in love, it accounts for nothing. Yeah. Actually, the only thing that happens is we can get puffed up in pride. Only love can build up. Therefore, he says we must be operating in love. So Paul says, I'm going to lay out a, another way for you, a superior way. And uh, basically what he's saying to them is, guys, the way that you're on, the way that you're coming together so individual and not considering one another's needs as you worship, it's kind of like they're on a destructive path. He says, I'm going to show you another way, though. I'm going to show you a way that leads to life and to the mutual building up of one another. Now, in no way is Paul... Con contrasting the gifts or the movements of the Spirit with love. He's not saying choose one. What he's saying is let love be what drives everything that you do. Amen? So he, he finishes chapter 13 by comparing the, temp the, 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 the temporal nature of gifts with the eternal nature of love. Faith, hope, and love remain forever. Love is the greatest. So what he's saying is, guys, if you're going to engage in things, don't, don't, have things excluding that which is eternal, that's which will remain forever. Because actually everything that's happening in some respects, the gifts, the movements of the Spirit here, some of these things are going to fade away when Christ returns. Therefore, make sure everything you're doing is rooted in the eternal nature of love, for that is what will remain. Amen? <laughs> we're a body. We're coming together to glorify and exalt Jesus and to make sure that we're loving one another. I promise you, I think... Man, it's so good. This thing ends with God saying the peace of God will hit a house that operates in these things. Like shalom peace upon a house. Like this is unto God, not, again, not restricting. It's actually lead to increased blessing when we come in together like this. Amen? All right, and here's where we'll kind of land and, and finish this out is now chapter 14. And so Paul just got done speaking on love. You know what? It's really important we know this. Love must be present when things are happening. That's a way you can discern a work of the Spirit. So one, it should exalt Jesus. Two, whatever's happening here should promote love for one another. If anything we're doing is dishonoring someone around us, we may have actually heard from the Lord, but at least maybe how we're, how we're letting it flow through us is not in a way that's, that's loving someone. Some, and that's, that's humility, because there may be ways I like to express myself, but if I know it's not going to benefit my brother and sister, it's actually love to do it in a way that they can be blessed by it as well. Yeah, that's, that's the communal aspect, right? So 1 John 4, one of the ways that you can test the work of the Spirit is to know that God is love. Everything must be done in love. So again, these are big principles, but is, is Christ being exalted? Is love present in what's taking place? And now we come here, this final place, chapter 14. So Paul's going to say, all right, if love is going to be building up the church, there's two things that need, that need to happen. Love is going to be, listen carefully, love is going to be intelligible, that's the word he used, and love is going to be orderly, but we're going to understand what that means according to God because it's a little different than we think. Order to God does not restrict, does not restrain. It's to promote life. So here we go. 
verse, uh, verse 1. I'm, I'm not going to read this whole chapter. I'm just going to highlight a section in each to see how love is expressed in building up the church through being understandable, what happens here, and then through being orderly. So verse 1, Paul writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So there you go. He is not pitting these things together. He's saying let love be the, the driving motivation as these things unfold. Especially that you may prophesy. Verse 2. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit, praise and prayer before the Lord. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. That's a positive statement. Paul isn't rebuking here. That's positive. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Amen? Now, I'm going to explain something. Remember, Paul's addressing an issue. I'm going to explain something on tongues in a moment, and then the rest is just to lead us into other principles. But here's what Paul is saying now. Paul is saying that he just got done saying everything is equal, and now he's saying, but here's something that's greater, here's something that's higher. Well, what is it, Paul? It's really not about prophecy in tongues at all right now. Although that's what he's using, what Paul is doing is he's not comparing the inherent value of gifts versus one another, for they're all equal because they're all by the Spirit. But why Paul can say confidently that there are some things that are greater or higher is because when it comes to the communal setting, there are certain things that actually do a better job at edifying others than other things. And what Paul has in mind primarily is that when we come together, outside of first and foremost the exaltation of Jesus, it's that all would be edified, built up. So for Paul, he's laying out this really clear principle, guys, to ask ourselves, when we come together, is what I'm doing understandable? It's really simple. Now listen, there are some things that some will never, don't understand because they're just not rooted in the scriptures, and I don't mean that heavy-handed, but you can't not engage in it, but it's accessible. There are other things, though, that we may do that no one would know because only we know what's happening. Those are the things I'm talking about. We want to be careful to engage in something where I'm the only one who's being blessed and no one else is. Because Paul says, even though you're being personally edified, when you come together, remember, you're a body and no one else can engage into this. And he says, remember, this is love. So they're saying, we're so spiritual because we're having these experiences and I'm so blessed. But Paul's saying, but you're not thinking about your brother or sister that's here. And actually, you know what he says really interesting? To use the tongues example, all you got to do is interpret. What that tells me is sometimes there are things that are not intelligible, and all it requires is just to tell someone, this is what God's doing. <laughs> now, that may be more for the leaders, but still, something's happening, and you just say, hey, just so you know, this is what's happening. All of a sudden, understanding. Now, everyone can jump into it. Yes. Amen? What, what, what I feel like this can... Um, just refine, I should say, and I'm, I love my charismatic roots, and I, I love it, but I'm, I, want, I want my life to always be just put before God and to just cut off maybe some unhealthy fringes. What, what, I, what I think this can cut off, like some unhealthy things, is sometimes the understanding, and I feel like more charismatic circles, is the stranger something gets, the more we know it's God. Uh, if, but, but now listen, things, listen, God, God, certainly there are things that happen that can get really, uh, God just moves in ways that break our box and our paradigms. Now, what I will say is a lot of times the, the points we point to to support that are usually not in the context of communal gatherings of the saints. So we do need to be careful of that. But my point is this, is that we don't need to feel pressure to try to make things strange to prove that we're spiritual and that God is really moving in our midst. If, if God wants to do something that's strange for us, 
It's holy and beautiful. I tell you what, the piece is going to be on it. We're going to say, let's go for it. We're going to give context. But we don't need to try to force that. We don't need to go out of our way and say, look, because when you, if you fall into that trap, what happens is we start trying to get stranger and stranger, but no one knows what's going on and no one can be edified. And Paul says, it's a false spirituality. For him, spiritual in the context of the the corporate worship is, is mutual edification, not just heightened individualistic spirituality. It's for all. Is this making sense? So again, this leaves a lot of room for discernment, but all we want to do is, hey, let's do our best to make things as understandable. Even if God's saying, I want us to do this, and this is, this is different, let's just say this is why, you know? If God's telling you to do something, maybe just come to a leader. This is practical. Just say, hey, I feel like the Lord is saying to do this. This is why. And then we can have context to step into it. Make sense? One of the people I admire the most is Dr. Randy Clark. And he, man, this guy walks in power. I mean, talk about things happening in meetings that you've never seen before. And I've had the privilege now for the last few, few months to sit in with him and just hear him speak. And one of the things he's so adamant to share every time is that he goes above and beyond to try to make things as clear and understandable as possible for everyone. And he has such a u- unique gift to bridge denominational lines where you would normally find divides because he says even when it is kind of strange because it's supernatural, some of these things, he'll go out of his way to try to make it very understandable. So even though b- blind eyes are seeing and deaf ears are opening and people are getting rocked by the Lord, he's sharing just scripture saying this is what's happening here. It's like just walking around as a father and say this is what's happening here. And everyone can be blessed by it, right? Um, and also just to be clear, what Paul is not saying here is that he's not putting down self-edification when he says, hey, just go do, do that at home. He's not, he's not saying self-edification is self-centeredness. All he's saying is that self-edification is not the primary goal of the communal setting. That's all. Now, you will be edified. Actually, we'll be more, I think, blessed. The more we are unified and come together, it'll spill over. But all he's saying is that's, not, that's secondary to everyone. Amen? Um, all right, let's leave it there. Let's come to this last part. Verse 26. So Paul, so we want everything to exalt Jesus. We want to be in love. And here's what love looks like. We want it to be understandable as best that we can. And then uh, verse 26 to really to the end, but we'll just read to verse 33. Uh, He switches gears and say, love will be present in a gathering when things are done uh, in 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 an orderly manner. And again, we'll, we'll give context for order here. He says in verse 26, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Yes? If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. We'll come to this in a moment. There's a, Paul doesn't write like this all the time with tongues. This is for this body because it's really jacked up what's happening. <laughs> Verse 28, but if there is no one to interpret, let each one keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. And he kind of says the first, uh, well, we'll read verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. All right, stop there. So Paul is now switching gears to confusion that could also come. Not only do we want things to be intelligible, we want it to be orderly in a way that uh, is flowing together. And the disorder here that was taking place, to be very clear, is not because there was rich, lavish spiritual experiences, okay? That's not why Paul is saying there's not order. It's not because people are encountering God and being used by God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is not disorderly. That's, that's New Testament worship. That's what it should look like. The disorder, once again, to hit this again, is because they were doing it in a very individualized manner. 
So Paul's answer for them is to come and wait your turn so that all can be blessed by it. So the issue here is actually, and this is really important because uh, this is one thing I will share in tongues, is that Paul is actually not coming against having a body sing harmon- like in a harmonic unity together in the spirit. Because in other places in the scriptures, he'll actually encourage this. What he's coming against here is not that multiple people speak in tongues at once, but that they're actually speaking over one another because they're not in unity. So what you have is people coming in and it's like disregard for everyone. It's just me and the Lord. And they're kind of like, it's like yelling over one another. So they're not flowing together. But actually in other portions of scripture, Paul will actually encourage for these times for us to worship in the spirit together. The difference is, is that we are unified. So, for example, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, addressing one another in songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs or songs in the Spirit. If I were to keep reading chapter 14, you will find that Paul's language, whenever he says pray in the Spirit, sing in the Spirit, is always tongues. So there's actually a place where Paul is saying where it's appropriate for us to come together and sing together in the Spirit. The difference is, is that we're doing it together. Even though what's happening, it can be very personal, but we're coming together. In fact, the early church took that, and, and a lot of their gatherings, they would have these moments, and we've had them here, where the sweet presence of God would come in, and there would be an invitation from the leader to basically come together in this unified like doxology of tongues, where they would praise the Lord, and then afterwards they would wait. That's probably one area we can grow in, is afterwards they would wait because they knew that God was about to respond. Whatever happened next was really, really powerful. Those are special moments that take place. So that's, that's really important in that sense that you see, you see it happen. But Paul is, is addressing something very specific here. And the whole point is that it's unity, guys. Like whatever we do, we want to be unified. Amen? A lot of you in the prayer room team know this, but unity is so important. So wherever we're going to go together when we, when we gather, let's go there together. Again, there's going to be diversity in, in how we're encountering God in that, but we're unified in our hearts and, and we're unified in where the Spirit's leading. Psalm 133, you guys know it, but it says that unity, where the brothers dwell in unity, is the place of blessing. God blesses the place where everyone is together in unity, and the blessing is life forevermore. The abundant life of God touches a community that comes together whatever it may be, and, and comes in as one, not just as a bunch of 100 individuals. Actually, the, the, the Psalm 133 equates the blessing there as oil dripping from the beard of Aaron, which is anointing oil. Anointing flows and touches a community that comes together as one. What does that mean? What that means, when in doubt, jump into the song that's being sung. Like, that's all that, that's really simple. When in doubt, like, enter in. And however the Lord's meeting you in that, let it flow. But join in. Match, match, this is just simple things. Match the atmosphere of what's happening. If it's a time where there's more quiet reflection over the holiness of God, enter in. If there's a response of exuberant joy, enter in. Those are just simple ways that we can actually flow together. And God says when we do that, there is a blessing. Oil flows over that house. I've been, man, one of the houses I respect the most is Upper Room in Texas. They have so, like, really grown in this place. The, the The presence of God in those gatherings is so strong because everyone is flowing together. Now, it looks, there's unique things happening all over, but they're all after the same thing. So if we're coming around the beauty of God, then let the flags come out, let fall on your knees, whatever it is, but let's come around the beauty of the Lord. Revelation 4 and 5, if you look at the throne room around God, there's so many diverse expressions of worship 
elders casting crowns, you've got living creatures, but if you read it carefully, they're all responding to one another. As one is saying, holy, 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 another one is now casting his crowns every time he hears it. They're moving together. Now it's diverse, but it's unified. They're coming around the presence of God. Isaiah 6 says that the seraphim cry out, holy, holy, holy before the Lord God Almighty. One of the things that impacted me so much a few years ago is when I noticed that when it says, when they say holy, although it's about God, they're actually not saying it to God. It says they say to one another, holy, holy, holy. In other words, they're flying around the presence of God and saying, do you see him? He's holy. Look, he's holy. And they're getting unified around God and doing that. That's what we're doing when we come together. When we come together, it's like the leaders are really the first followers, uh, the, the worship team. They're the first followers. They're just, they're like the priests who step in and open the door and say, now everyone come. Do you see? Here's what we're looking at right now. He is, he's redeemer. And we're all saying, oh my goodness, he's redeemer. <laughs> and dance, everything's breaking out over that. And we're flowing together and blessing hits that. Amen. Deuteronomy 32, I think it's verse 30. I'm just remembering it now. says, uh, it's kind of a, a proverbial saying. It says, if one goes out against an enemy, he'll get 1,000. If two goes out, he'll get 10,000. And I've always like stumbled. I said, wait a minute. One is 1,000. Two should be 2,000. But two equals 10,000. And it's about chasing the enemies of God. In other words, when there's unity and agreement, there's exponential breakthrough in the kingdom of God. So you'll get breakthrough. If we all just come and do our own thing, oh, you'll get breakthrough. Because God's just so good and merciful. But if we want exponential breakthrough... What would happen if 100 people together are going after this thing? In love, honoring one another, giving room. Man, it's just, it's so beautiful. God is going to breathe all over that. Okay. Um, yeah, let's, I'll share one other thing. Verse 27. When he says, if anyone speak in a tongue, wait, wait your turn. And then he says the same with prophecy. I think this is really important too, guys. I hope this is helping like maybe just refine some things. I thought growing up that when the Spirit of God moves upon someone, like, you lose complete control. You lose complete possession. Again, I know there may, there's some, some examples here and there, but in general, I think Paul's laying out a normative thing, and just to help you, when the Spirit of God comes upon someone, Paul is saying you can actually wait your turn. Now, what I would think is, what I, what I thought is when the Spirit of God comes upon me, I just got to go and yell it out. <laughs> And sometimes there can be some disorderly things that take place because we've come under the idea that when the Spirit comes upon you, you have no control anymore. Paul is actually saying you can have deep spiritual encounters and have self-control as you wait in love so that everyone can be blessed and edified by it. Actually, like, I'll, I'll honor Pat. Like, Pat, we know Pat has a gift of tongues that we interpret here. I have seen Pat purposely wait to not just yell over the worship team because he knows God's working through him and he waits for it. That's love. I've actually seen him walk away and refrain totally because the moment never opened up, even though there was, God was stirring something, which is actually what it says as well. If no one's there to interpret, you can actually remain silent. That's love. Yes? So when, when the Spirit comes upon you, uh, the, it, it's just not true that you're just going to go like in a million miles to, uh, in a direction and can't control and say, what do you want me to do, brother? I'm in the Spirit. Uh, Paul's actually saying it's opposite. You can walk in self-control and love. Amen? All right. And then uh, verse 30, it said, yeah, hold your anointing. <laughs> verse 30 says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. This is all honor. For you can all prophesy one by one. That's interesting too. Probably part of the issue with this is that they met in very small gatherings in homes. 
So just the sheer size of the way church works today kind of makes this a little bit challenging. But anyways, if you have like a thousand people gathering, it's a little hard for one by one. You may be there all day. But the truth is that's why it's good to have smaller meetings because actually you guys all have gifts and all the spirit of God moves through all of you. Maybe just haven't stepped into it, but, but you want to have a place to exercise and move in that. So it says, Let the, for all can prophesy one by one so that you all may learn and be encouraged. And I'll finish here. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Basically, what that means is self-control. You can actually have self-control is what it's saying. As God is powerfully working through you. Uh, sorry, again, Randy Clark. I looked at him because he's got a lot more experience than I have. He tells people as they're praying over them and they're about to encounter God, and they are, at any moment, he says, you can actually make this stop. At any moment. Like, I actually look at some of my most powerful experiences, and I realize that there was a moment where I had to give my yes to it. Because that's faith, actually. There's the faith. So that's a, that's a, actually, this is a good point. Some of us sometimes are waiting to be overpowered to be used by God. So the flip side of this is that if you want to be used by the Lord, you don't wait for God to just possess you and do it for you, because that's not faith. He's actually going to, so, so like sometimes people can get an interpretation for something, and they don't share and say, well, I'm just waiting for God to like do it through me. But God was actually giving you, uh, he was prompting you, but he's waiting for your yes in that. Amen, that's, that's the faith. And verse 33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So what Paul is saying is he's actually giving a theological like, perspective. He's saying, you know why you don't want to have confusion and people not loving one another? He says, because that's not who God is. And what's happening here is meant to be reflective of the nature of God. That's, that's the whole idea here. And one more time to repeat this, he says, God is not a God of confusion or disorders, the word can be translated, but a God of peace. Notice what the opposite of disorder is. It's not rigidity. It's not predictability. It's not for us to be stiff. It's not for us to lack spontaneity. The opposite of disorder is peace. So, so what we're inviting ourselves into is while we're having all these things move powerfully, shalom peace comes upon a house that's coming together like this. Isn't that good news? So we've turned the faucet on last week, freedom in Jesus, and now we're learning how to come together in love and mutually edify and benefit one another. Praise the Lord. Sometimes I get tired of hearing myself speak, so I'm done. <laughs> no, I'm going to, uh, I want to, I'm going to ask us. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.